Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We're going to be having a great couple of hours planned. Uh, we have Guy Talk coming up in just 60 seconds or so. And then John and Pam Bloom are going to be uh, with us in theory, um, but not in reality, because I just got word that John's a little under the weather. So what we're going to do is play and replay an episode of Deep Thinker Thursday with John and Pam Bloom in hour two. If you're like me, and I know I am, when you listen to the blooms, you don't absorb everything at once. You have to you have to listen again and because there's so much there and they're so thought-provoking. And you're going to love Hour 1 and Hour 2. And as always in Hour 1 with Guy Talk, if you have a question you would like us to uh, kick around or you want to uh, participate and bring up something you'd like us to discuss, let us, let, let us know by text, 877-933-2484. My power panel today is uh, Brad Johnson and Pastor Tom Brock and Justin Jepson. It's going to be a great hour. Let us know. We'll be back in 60 seconds. When life doesn't go as expected and your soul is triggered, how do you respond? Do you want to escape reality? Do you run over the problem in your mind over and over? Whatever your response, it's important that you pay attention to what your soul is saying. I've been thinking about this lately, and I took some time to write down my thoughts. You can read more on my blog. Just search the word soul on MyFaithRadio.com. Biblical insight every single day at MyFaithRadio.com. When faith connects with your life, the picture changes. Your spouse isn't just your spouse. They're God's child. Your children aren't projects to be raised. They're legacies to be left. And work isn't a list of tasks. It's a calling, a purpose to bring God-inspired change wherever you are. When faith connects with life, amazing things can happen. So thanks for listening to Faith Radio, connecting faith to life. the show. Awfully glad to have Guy Talk today. I love Guy Talk. I've got um, Doug, or Brad Johnson and Pastor Tom Brock and Justin Jepson. When he gets here, he's just coming from a meeting. So that's the uh, the power panel today. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to have you here. Brad, you got a tie on. You're throwing me off. Uh, I don't, yeah. Do you have a meeting or something? Oh, even worse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid to ask what even worse is. <laughs> I was teaching. Okay. Ah. Yeah. And Tom, yeah, you just were back from a missions conference, weren't you? I went to a tremendous missions conference, which is where I'm going to give my money. Awesome. Let me hear more about that. Well, I asked uh, the, a missions pastor of a large church in the Twin Cities, I said to him, if I want to give money to make sure it goes right to the salvation of souls overseas and where they're going to use my money for the right thing, where would you give? And he said... The Timothy Initiative. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I went to their conference. 
they are just exactly where I want to give my money. If you, if people want to, I mean, for instance, this is for missions overseas. This is for missions mm-hmm. overseas. Instead of sending a an American missionary overseas, which costs a lot of money, they train the locals to be pastors, and they've got a strategy for <clears throat> reaching Nepal, for India, and they're just going gangbusters to reach the loss for Christ. So if anybody out there has got 1.5 million, uh, you just Google the Timothy Initiative. And I was so impressed. So this is one of the places where I'm going to be wanting to give. Um, Do say more um, about the... uh, Right before we came on the show, you were talking about something I said. Well, probably... Do you know that there are more Muslims in India than in all the other Arab countries combined. And the fastest growing church in the world is the church in Nepal. But because of that, the government has now passed an anti-conversion law uh, not allowing conversion. Uh, and and so we got to pray for people now wow. in Nepal. And that's being proposed now in India as well. So just the gospel is spreading, but it's being opposed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. How important is it to be a dissenter, a dissenter. Now, I'm saying you're not being a whiner or a complainer, but you're literally being a dissenting voice because there's going to be plenty of opportunities where we hear nothing but foolishness Mm -hmm. and we want to be injecting truth and we also want to be giving a a dissenting position. I think, uh, you know... This looks different, I think, kind of for everyone, and kind of depends a little bit on your personality. Um, my boss would probably say I'm I'm I dissent way too much, <laughs> which uh, I'm just joking. But uh-huh. you know, <laughs> you know, uh, the the truth is that you know when I think of dissenters, all through history, I mean, history is filled with people who have dissented from whatever the the main thought of the time is, and and. Uh, well, Further, when I think historically in the Old Testament, I think of most of the prophetic, the prophets that we know from the Old Testament were dissenters of their time, if you will. And many times they were confronting uh, the people about their their sin, uh, their uh, you know their their lack of connection to God, uh, whatever whatever the issues were, and in that culture they they were dissenters mm-hmm. so to me i think you know it's it's very much tied up in into what we traditionally think of as as uh uh prophets in my mind mm-hmm. i think of you know as i'm a lutheran and i think of martin luther in 1517 na- nailing those 95 theses to the door of wittenberg cathedral he was dissenting and it started a huge movement that brought many people to christ and we were talking before the uh, mics came on. <laughs> I used to be an ELCA L- Lutheran, which is the liberal branch. Martin Luther would turn like a lathe if he could see what's happening. And God bless a dissenter who got up at their convention, what, three months ago, because they were pushing through a proposal saying that we don't know what God thinks of non-Christian religions. A dissenter got to the microphone and said, Oh, yes, we do. John fourteen six. Jesus says, I'm the only way of salvation. 
They voted him down 97%. What? So if, if you're an ELCA Lutheran out there, wow. uh, you gotta, you got to pray about it. I think it's long time past to join a more biblical branch of that denomination. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, I praise God that that guy got to the microphone because it was going to be a grease skid to get this thing passed. And it did pass, mm-hmm. but not until he and just spoke the truth of God. In fact, that's what he said. He said, I'm going to speak some inconvenient truth to power now. And he did. And they did not like it. Uh, yeah. So but, I'm, I praise God for good dissenters. But being a pastor, if you're going to dissent, just be, you know, be nice about it. Mm-hmm. The guy that got to the microphone was very nice. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, if you have to talk to your pastor or dissent in your church, do it. But don't be a bull in a china closet about it. Just humbly, lovingly speak your peace. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because dissenting is critical for the health and well-being of most companies, organizations. I know that there's been times when, let's say, a nurse in the operating room sees a situation that seems precarious or she should speak up, but they don't tell the doctor anything because the doctor is the one obviously in charge. And, you know, but then there's been mistakes as a result because yeah. you, you have to dissent sometimes. I mean, mm-hmm. there's been safety concerns um, in the airline industry that you hear about that s- nobody spoke up. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're kidding yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think America's in trouble because Christians won't dissent. We and just I go, agree, we go along with everything and we're, we're just very quiet. We need to be more vocal as, as the church today in, in America. I agree. All right. Let me uh, take a little break. I think uh, we've got... a. Justin coming in as well. So we're going to be open to taking any questions you have or uh, issues you'd like us to tackle. Send us a text, 877-933-2484. Be right back. back with Guy Talk. Awfully glad to be joined in studio by my power panel, Brad, Tom, and Justin. And we're going to take any questions or issues you have. We were talking about dissenting right before Justin walked in. And it's critical that Christians continue to be dissenters and do it with grace and kindness and love, right? Amen. Amen. All right. When you come across a word that you may or may not know what it means, are you more likely to fake your way through it or just say, I don't know what that means, or I can't remember what that means. Mm-hmm. I like to be the person who knows what it means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, so the cool thing about having phones nowadays, we can go to the bathroom and look it up real <laughs> That's quick. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Yep. We can look it up real quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can figure it out. One of the things I was always pretty good at as a kid was was using the context to figure out mm-hmm. the meaning of words. And um, I think uh, Jordan Peterson calls it the zone of proximal development, where you are understanding a little bit more than your ability. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, uh, you know, uh, parents automatically do to their kids without even realizing it, where they, they talk to them, you know, when they're babies, they talk to them in baby talk, but as they grow... They talk to them a little bit more, with just a little more complexity, mm. and then children pick up language mm-hmm. from that. And that's an automatic skill. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jordan calls it the zone of proximal development. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we, 
you know, uh, sometimes you can figure that out. If, if someone's constructed the sentence well, mm-hmm. you can figure out what that word <laughs> is. <laughs> but if not, you know. You, you have little okay. ones, don't you, Justin? That's good. I do have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a five-month-old. Are you speaking adult to them yet? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Most of the time, no. But, uh-huh. it, you know, to your point, it, it, it does. I'm surprised at what my son at two-and-a-half right now, he's just soaking everything in and the things that he'll repeat back or the words that we didn't even know that we did say, he'll mention. We're like, oh, we, you know, yeah. we got to be careful. But, yeah. Oh, you do. Yeah. yeah. But it is, that's good. So in Ephesians 2.10, and I love this mm. Greek word uh, used by Paul when he told the Ephesians church that we are God's handiwork mm-hmm. created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word handiwork is a translation of the Greek word poema. It's a pretty rich word. Mm-hmm. It means work of art or masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Do you guys feel like works of art or masterpieces? <laughs> you guys want to break into smaller groups and yeah. try to figure this out? I feel like more like a mess than a masterpiece. Isn't most that interesting? Of the day. Okay. But, but, but I think uh, part of that too is that we're still, we're works in progress. Yeah. And so I think, uh, you know, I think the idea of a masterpiece is um, he's not finished with this yet, he's begun. He's faithful to finish what he's um, what he's begun, but I think, you know, it's interesting that that word, the, and the, even the word order in the Greek in Ephesians two ten, um, his is the first is the first word. So the emphasis of the two ten is not us as the masterpiece, but it's him as the one who's working and doing the master working out the masterpiece. So that gives me hope in the midst of my mess. And I think too, it's interesting that the one who calls us a masterpiece, the Apostle Paul, also said. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? And you know what What I think is helpful? There's a Latin phrase, it's about the only one I know, simul justus et peccator, which means simultaneously saint and sinner. Hmm. And the reformers were big on the fact that when you come to Christ, from then on you're a saint and you're still a sinner because yeah. you still have your sin nature. And there are some, there are some churches that go overboard on the wretched part, and, you know, just all I am is a worm. That's overboard. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there are groups, holiness groups, where all you are is a saint, and if you sin, well, then you've lost your salvation. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not right either. So it's kind of good to keep the balance. Mm. I think it's, it's, um, yeah, we are both, you know, saint Mm -hmm. and sinner. And I think, you know, uh, Scripture talks about how we're made in the image of God, and yet... We sin. So how does the image of God sin? It, it mm-hmm. doesn't, it, you know, there's, it's the paradox, the internal mm-hmm. paradox of mm-hmm. being, being a Christian. And, and I see this a lot in, in, when non-Christians talk, they say, well, I don't want to be a Christian because those people act like this or they act mm-hmm. like that. And I'm like, hey, don't judge Jesus by how I've failed mm-hmm. or by how someone else has failed because we are still human. Mm-hmm. in the context of our lives, whatever that looks like for mm. each of us. All right. If mm. you came across someone and they appeared to be having uh, a life-threatening uh, moment, like a cardiac arrest, and and they, th- they thought, maybe I've got four minutes left to live, and you get down alongside of them and they say, tell me how to get to heaven, what would you say? Got less than four minutes. The gospel. What is it? What, what words would you say to yeah. them? You know, you know, uh, do you have faith? And, and then what, what does that look like for you? And, and ultimately, I would probably use the scripture, um, uh, no man comes unto the Father except through me. 
And, you know, we've all talked about the Romans road, you know, the, mm -hmm. you know, all sin falls short of the glory of God. And, and then, you know, uh, and here's your opportunity. And Jesus is that substitution mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. yep. Paul says in First uh, Corinthians 15, I give you of first importance that Christ mm -hmm. died for our sins, rose from the dead. So mm -hmm. I would go right to that. And mm -hmm. I would say, before you die, you just need to confess that you're a sinner and that you now believe that Christ came to earth, lived the perfect life you couldn't, died on the cross to pay for your sins and rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. And the Bible promises you if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Mm -hmm. And I would give him an opportunity. Are you willing to, to turn to Christ and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins? Mm -hmm. And if he said yes, then I'd baptize the guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, to go along with that, I go to Peter's words at the end of his first sermon on mm -hmm. Pentecost and that, you know, his words cut them to the heart and said, what should we do to be yep. saved? He said, yep. repent and believe and be baptized. I mean, it's just, so it's, my, my dad was Roman Catholic. I was 19 when he died, went to his deathbed many times, but I didn't know how to share the gospel. And I, mm -hmm. I, after that, and he died, and then, then I learned about a month later how to share the gospel. And I, I had maybe 12 dreams of dad dying. Mm -hmm. And before I could say, Jesus died for your sins, he'd always die before I could get it out. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to have dreams like that anymore. So when my sister was dying and my mom was dying, I went into the hospital rooms and made sure to do that. Mm -hmm. But I just want to encourage our listeners that, Everybody thinks they're getting to heaven by being good. Nine out of ten yeah. people. You got to knock mm -hmm. that out, yeah. and then you got to say the only thing that saves us is the death and resurrection of Christ. That's right. Interestingly, interestingly enough, my next question is: What is something that most people learn only after it's too late? <laughs> you just named it, though, didn't you? <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I mean, that's probably a good example. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel like you've got three minutes of gospel presentation, crystal clear that someone like the thief on the cross who's dying mm -hmm. could hear, mm -hmm. understand, and embrace. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, that's something you should probably figure out. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, are any of you guys trained in CPR? Uh, I am. Are you? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's one of those mildly, wonderful... But mildly, yeah. Well, not certified, but I... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm certified, but I've never done it. Sure. I've never had to do <laughs> right. it, you know, right. which right. kind of yep. is a relief. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> no kidding. you know, it's yeah. um, things like... Do you, do you wish you would have taken the CPR course? Mm. You know, of no. course, you always think that. You should have taken swimming lessons when, exactly. the, when the cruise ship went down. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Can you think of anything, though, else though, that most people learn only after it's too late? You know, people usually get the security system for their house after they've been broken mm -hmm. into. Mm -hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Totally. I don't, mean, I don't mean to make you guys think too hard here. Yeah, it, it, where our brains are smoking right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, that's a stumper sure, right there. That is a fog in this that, place. Yeah. 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 I th I'll give you one that you learned. I went to college thinking the Lord wanted me to go in one direction, and I had to be turned around by the Lord halfway through college, maybe because I didn't seek him right in the first place. So I'm not saying I wasted half of my college, but um, I wish I would have sought that one out better before mm -hmm. I went off. So, I, I, you know, make sure, everybody, that you're praying for God's will daily and that you don't rush off into the day without saying hello mm -hmm. to the Lord on mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Here's a question from a listener. How do you get over the guilt of past sins? I feel like I, ha I keep having to ask for forgiveness. Mm. Well, uh, Scripture says it's as far as the east is from the west, mm -hmm. and um, you know uh, that that 
that propitiation that Jesus did is is deep and uh you know it says God's basically you're clean mm-hmm. it's it's forgiven mm-hmm. it it's over and i think one of the good things about that from her perspective is that you can you can correct rights that are have been wronged whether they're justice or whether they're there are other things you know you've made a mistake in such and such and such a, you can fix those things mm-hmm. nonetheless and and there is a a human consequence for your our choices and our mm-hmm. decisions but nonetheless christians the the bible says that that our sins have been uh, forgiven and mm-hmm. it's as far as the east is from the west mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. to me is basically infinity right mm-hmm. and when i was younger i used to have this trap that i was part of where if i conf- if i sinned i would confess it lord forgive me and if i didn't feel forgiven oh lord please forgive me i mean i'd ask for forgiveness five or six times for the same sin mm-hmm. and then it was pointed out to me first john 1 9 if we confess god is faithful to forgive mm-hmm. So you ask for forgiveness once, mm-hmm. and he forgives you. And mm-hmm. if you still feel guilt after that, that's not the Holy Spirit anymore. That's the devil trying to get you mm-hmm. under condemnation. And and a great sermon I heard back in those days was the pre- preacher said, every time you sin, immediately do three things. Number one, confess it. Confess means to agree with. So, I, okay, God, I agree. That was wrong. Number two, you put it under the blood. God, I believe Christ paid for this sin. And then number three, mm-hmm. you immediately forget about it and move on mm-hmm. and forgive yourself. So I would say to this person, ask for forgiveness once, receive it, believe it. Mm-hmm. And then if you feel like asking for forgiveness again for what you did, mm-hmm. don't. Mm-hmm. Just stand on the promise of 1 John 1, 9. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also why God gave us Holy Communion. Mm-hmm. Shed for the forgiveness of your sins when mm-hmm. you drink the, bl- the wine. Mm-hmm. That's God's way of reassuring our hearts. So mm-hmm. try not to dig up what God told you to keep buried. You yeah. Know? yeah, the only thing I would add to that, uh, that that's all right, on. I think to, to be, keep being transformed by the renewing of our minds, but, you know, James five sixteen says, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, not that you may be forgiven, that you may be healed. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we can talk openly about our sins yes. in the context of Christ-centered community, I have found that when I've done that, it actually opens up opportunities for others to confess, maybe mm-hmm. what they've never confessed and then for there to be love and we can incarnate the love and forgiveness of God to one another and actually transforms our past guilt into moments of ministry. Yep. And you sometimes people cannot believe God's forgiven them. So mm-hmm. you need to do James 5. You mm-hmm. need to confess that to a, a pastor or a friend mm-hmm. and have them say the absolution that mm-hmm. I proclaim to you that because of Christ and his death and your sorrow, you are forgiven. Sometimes we need to hear that from, that's why they have confession in the Lutheran and Catholic churches, mm-hmm. Episcopal churches. People don't use it much in the Lutheran church, but they should because it's, it's a way of being set free. Yeah. All right. Let us know what questions you might have, or if you want clarification from something that's been said, let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. Brad, Tom, and Justin are in studio. They're my power panel today on Guy Talk. We will take a very short break and be right back.
All right, we are back with Guy Talk. Had um, my wingman Terry wrote in and said, "When I became a Christian, for the security of my forgiveness of past sins, I would recite Psalm 51 daily." It started sinking in about six months of doing this. Let me read a little bit of Psalm 51. You guys up for this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my, transg- my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. It goes on and on, but it's lovely, isn't it? I, when I sin and feel guilty, I love to get on my knees and read Psalm 51 out loud. It's, you can't beat it for mm-hmm. cleansing. and. So you're in a full, full agreement with Terry. What's that? You're in full agreement with Terry Amen. on Psalm 51. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. All right. What, uh, what fact amazes you every time you think about it? What is absolutely has you in amazement every time you think about it? Well, I think for me, um, you know, we call outer space for good reason because there's a lot of it out there. Yeah. So I think the fact that we have to, we created our own metric to measure the distance between, you know, our planets and solar systems and galaxies. So this, the fact that a light year, um, you know, and light traveling 186,000 miles per second over the course of a year, it just amazes me how huge when I look up into the night sky every single time, I feel like a little kid again, and I'm amazed by it. I love it. Any grand idea that comes to mind, either of you guys? I was sitting next to a doctor once on the airplane, mm-hmm. and he found out I was a pastor, and he said, oh, I became a Christian in med school. And I said, well, what converted you? And he said, when I started to see how incredibly well-designed the human body is, mm-hmm. I had to conclude there's a designer to mm-hmm. this thing. I, I, do too. I mean, think of all the times you've cut, you've gotten a little cut it always heals. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way that God has created the body to heal itself is rather amazing. It is amazing. And and I, I agree with Justin about outer space, but lately I've been noticing the power of the human intellect in a way where we can actually think about things in a way that's meaningful and makes sense, is rational and yet spiritual, mm. heart, deeply heartfelt, and we, we have this 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 kind of connection between the heart and the head and 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 you know as we live through life one of my missions has been trying to integrate that you know not just mm-hmm. use knowledge but use the heart and integrate the knowledge with the, with the heart and it becomes like wisdom mm-hmm. from my perspective and 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 you know uh, test it against scripture and 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 move forward and and that ability for us that our conscious mind to just think about this things these things and to think about specifically like what Jesus did specifically and thank him specifically for that on the cross for us specifically for you specifically for me um it's it's an amazing concept and so I feel like sometimes we just kind of gloss over it you know mm. it's not that big a deal but it's amazing to me it is mm. can you think of uh, a time or something that happened that at the time seemed inconsequential but it turned out to be quite significant as you look back or as your life unfolds at the moment, the interaction, the exchange, the meeting, the time and place you were in seemed maybe inconsequential. 
But now you look back and you go, oh my, was that ever pivotal? Mm. Yes. <laughs> I was 19 years old leading a Bible study at college. Uh, a young woman by the name of Pam says, Tom, can I talk to you privately afterwards? And I said, yeah. And she says to me, Tom, are you sure you're saved? <laughs> and I was offended. And I said, well, I think I'm saved. No, are you sure you're saved? And I said, yes. And she <laughs> left. And I'm sitting on my dorm uh room thinking, did I just lie? Because I don't think I was sure at that point. Mm. And, and so it was about that time that First John five thirteen. if you believe in Christ, you can know you have eternal life. That's when the light bulb started to go on. But there's a little conversation that irked me, to be honest with you, that really changed my life. I mean, I think I was saved before I had the assurance of my salvation, but I wouldn't want to live without that, you know. Mm. So that was a, that was a good one. It seemed me. inconsequential at the time. It, it seemed like, like this off-the-cuff remark. It like get out of my dorm room, right? Know? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think for um, for me, it's hard. I'm trying to think of one particular one, but I feel like a lot of my life, God, God plays this kind of divine connect the dots game, where mm-hmm. I, it's like all these different moments will come, and then I'll, one moment will happen, and I'll look back, and I'll be able to see, you know. Um, uh, how all of this connected together. And so um, one of the things for me that's coming to mind, though, is the, one of the first memories that I have as a young boy, even before I felt like I knew the Lord personally, and this maybe it'll sound a little weird. I don't know if this, this is theologically correct or whatever, but I remember waking up. <laughs> this might be the last time you have me back. But I remember waking up as a little boy, and I remember feeling like this, this, this like weight, and it was... Um, uh, I felt like I again. I felt like it was it was God's presence, but I felt like this weighty, like this density. Like it was like, like I was wearing like a like a heavy blanket or something. Hmm. And I remember I reached out and it was like I I it was like I was clinging onto a finger, almost like a, like a little boy would his his dad. And I, I never knew what that meant, what that encounter was about. And then I remember um, learning about you know when you talk about God's glory in the, in, the, in the Hebrew kavod that that's this, this idea of weightiness or density. And I remember thinking, wow, that's Maybe that's what that was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I remember the day that my son was born, the very first thing that he did when he looked over at me, he reached out and he grabbed onto my pinky mm-hmm. and it brought me back. Those dots connected mm-hmm. and I felt that density, that weightiness. I felt glory. Mm-hmm. And so I think mm-hmm. that's cool. That was, yeah, those are some dots that connected it. And those individuals by themselves didn't seem like they were, didn't know what they meant, but God was working doing he was doing something bigger than i thought it's cool now for me it's probably more negative kind of a story i have a, a moment in my young married life where uh my wife was relaying to me some problems she was having with some co-workers and and you know as guys we want to fix things right so she's telling me about these issues and i'm getting frustrated you know she's telling me about this she's telling me about that and finally, I just blurted out, uh, and God has forgiven me for this, <laughs> <laughs> but I blurted out, you know what? If I can't fix it, don't bother telling me about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it was a, and something happened. I saw her eyes just, ooh, you know, go a little bit dimmer. And she's like, oh, boy. And so I'm putting up this wall between us, which, you know, is not the proper thing to do for a married man. And and it hurt. And it was the beginning of, of kind of, a, I would say, a 
kind of a wedge in our relationship at that point. Um, so, and at that point, I, it wasn't that big a deal. I, I mean, I didn't think about it very much. But some some 18 years later, uh, I was praying one day, and, and the Holy Spirit brought that memory to me. And I had to apologize. Did she remember it? She knew. Oh, she did. Okay. It was it was significant, and the Holy Spirit brought it, brought it to me. And the and the Spirit gave me a, a allowed me to feel the pain of that moment from her perspective, and it was very healing, you know, at that point. But it was it was something I wished I never had said. Wished I could take it back. And and the the end of the story is good in the sense that there's restoration. But there's there's a good eighteen years in there where that that wedge was between us because I I'd said that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that, Brad. Yeah. Well, I I remember an, uh, what appeared very inconsequential. I got a call from a friend of mine, Joel Hodgson, who was hired to do this event, and he said I was hired to do this, but I, I'm not going to be able to do it. Can you fill in for me and do it? And I said, Well, Joel, I'm happy to do it. I won't be as funny as you, but I'd be happy to fill in. And then at that event, my contact person was a person who had, was just getting hired to go work at Prison Fellowship in, in uh, Washington. And Prison Fellowship was just starting this new program of trying to reach inmates for Christ. So as a result of meeting her, I got hired to do these in-prison events, mm. to which I've now done, um, I've been in 80 prisons across the country. Wow. Wow. That's great. You know, including on death row yep. on Easter morning wow. um, in South Carolina. And... Then out of that, my heart got so broken for people in recovery and people who have had drug and alcohol problems that I then gravitated into how can I continue to be salt and light yeah. in their worlds and hopefully speak the truth. Because oftentimes people that gravitate towards recovery groups are people who have suffered themselves. And they're wonderful you know, people that come alongside and say, look, at I've been there. But I can't walk in there and say I've been there because I haven't. I've never tried drugs or alcohol in my life. And I've never even had a speeding ticket, so it's not like I can go in prison and go, yeah, I'm a lawbreaker just like you. <laughs> but um, then all of a sudden I've got this ministry to people in drugs and alcohol, and then all of a sudden I knock on the door at Faith Radio and say, these are some of the best stories I've ever heard. And Neil said, let's try it for eight weeks. And then we started Real Recovery, talking about stories of redemption through Christ, and now we're in our almost ninth year. When is cool. that? It's oh. Sundays at 5. And... And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be sitting here doing the afternoon yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's an amazing series of dots, like you said, Justin, that yeah. are connected. But it seemed very inconsequential at the time. A friend yes. of mine calls and says, can you fill in for me on a yeah. night? Mm. Yeah, I can do that. And it's interesting how I just want it to be an encouragement for listeners just to know that nothing in God's economy is inconsequential. Mm-hmm. It's true. And mm-hmm. man plans his steps, but the Lord directs his yeah. path. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't want to live in Minnesota. I still don't. But I, I won't tell the whole story, but God wanted me here. I, I, I think I'm supposed to minister to the Lutherans, helping them understand the gospel. And all the Lutherans are up in the upper Midwest. This mm-hmm. is where, But I had my plan was to go back to Florida, you know. And so just the way that the Lord, like with, with, with your story— just bumbled you into where you were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I think that happens a lot. And, of course, I didn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, I'm happy to do it. Plus, I was getting paid, so, you know, <laughs> wasn't a big stretch for me. Yeah. yeah. But there I then meet someone who hires me to do 80 events in prisons, and Absolutely. all of a sudden it's like I've got this incredible deep desire to continue to do ministry mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. men and women, mm-hmm. well, men now, but, I mean, I've been in a number of women's prisons too. Um, had a 
25-minute conversation one night with Susan Smith in South Carolina. She's the woman that strapped her two kids in the backseat of the car, oh. mm. drove it into the lake. You did? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. She had, you know, had severe mental illness, um, depression, bipolar, um, and she was insane, she said, and unmedicated. And anyway, she's a believer now. Is she? Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. And she said, of course, I'm the villain. There's seven or eight other women in this uh, prison that have killed their children, but I'm the villain because sure. of the newsworthiness of the story. Oh. But she said, I will live the rest of my life with my heart broken. Sure. Mm. And... And I will now do my best to share the light of Christ with others. Wow. And the great thing about the story is there is redemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even in something as horrific as that, can yeah. you imagine mm-hmm. anything worse for someone? Yeah. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. I generally but, don't like talking this much on God Talk, but I appreciate you letting me chat here a little mm-hmm. bit. Let me take a break. We'll come back. Lots more. Bill. Back to the show. Awfully uh, glad to have Justin, Tom, and Brad in studio. Here's a question that just came in. This is a tough one, guys. I just attended the funeral of a believer, father, and husband who died at 42 after falling off a ladder. Mm. How do you process things like that with God? Thanks. You know, that's it's always hard. Uh, it's never easy. You know, I think... Uh, when I think of people passing away and, and moving on to the next aspect of their life, I think of um, Job and all the things that Job went through in the book of Job. And and in a way, God said, no, Job's going to be after my heart and he's not going to do this. And Job lost everything, right? And um, his friends sat with him in silence for days. And the Jews call it sitting in Shiva. And I think uh, uh, it's a good way for us to process our our feelings. And you know, the the, the fact is that um, there's there's grief, mm-hmm. and and we have to we have to process that grief, what, however that looks for us. And it looks different for different people, and it takes time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no simple easy answer when people pass, whether they're good people or not we there's a hole and we feel the pain and um and and we need to grieve and that just takes time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you don't jump in there and say this was the lord's will even mm-hmm. though it was i mm-hmm. think but you know because you got to be quiet and let mm-hmm. them grieve but you know here's a true story here's a five-year-old girl killed by a drunk driver the family's going to have two funerals one in southern minnesota one in northern minnesota <clears throat> they go to sermon number one the preacher says, well, just be assured that it is not the will of God that a five-year-old girl gets her life taken away by a drunk driver. Just know that this was not the will of God. They drive up north for sermon number two, different preacher. Well, we don't understand all this, but we understand and know that ultimately God uh, is in control of all things. And for some reason, this was his time to take her. And the poor parents are sitting there scratching their heads. Mm-hmm. And the the question is, I'm just going to tell you what I like. I like sermon number two. 
I like knowing that even though there's lots of evil in the world, and yeah, there's some truth to the first sermon, it, the guy was sinning by drunk driving, I still want to know that God was in control of when my five-year-old daughter dies. I don't want, I don't want to think that chance or the devil is ruling the universe. Mm-hmm. And with this, uh, the question about the guy falling off the ladder, I wouldn't say this right away, but the verse is, a sparrow cannot fall to the ground apart from our father. He could not have fallen off of that ladder apart from our father. And to me, it's a comfort that God's in control of even my tragedies, because I don't want chance or the devil to run the universe. Mm-hmm. Romans eight twenty eight, mm-hmm. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Mm-hmm. That's a great verse, you know, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, that story actually hits really close to home. Just under three weeks ago, my dad fell off a ladder putting Christmas tree lights and broke two ribs, punctured Ooh. his lung. It wasn't life-threatening, thankfully, but it could have been. You know, if he would have, who knows what the situation was here, if this man hit his head or whatever. But, you know, I, I can tell you, I, I don't think, um, you know, the process of grieving, I think trying to figure out the why isn't going to be helpful. No. Um, and I think that, yeah. that ministry of presence is mm-hmm. so huge mm-hmm. in being in community. Um, I remember as a youth pastor sitting in a hospital room with a student who was watching his dad take his last breath uh, at 43 and uh, losing a battle to cancer. And what do you do after that? And I, I was the one who drove him back home. And I mean, it was just, we were just silent. There's nothing you can say. And, but mm-hmm. I was just, all I was like, all, I said, you know, I told him, I said, I don't know. There's nothing to say, but no. I just want you to know I'm here. Yep. And I let him take the lead. And he, you know, and those that are processing with, with, uh, and grieving, it's real. You got to feel it. Um, but yet, yet, at the same time, we do have hope. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if this, 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 this man was a follower of Christ, um, death doesn't have the last word. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so are we saying silence can be golden? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And presence. Yeah. Yep. In there. And then eventually, you do say something, do. but yes. you don't do it right, right away. No. And, yep. you know, and I you know she's in heaven. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of... I have a very specific story about this. When I was nine years old, my brother was tragically killed in a in a in a car wreck outside the front of our house. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a nine year old kid, people coming to me and, and and saying something like, "Oh, I know exactly how you feel. This happened to so and so." You don't want that. And and I remember as a nine year old kid, I wanted to punch him in no, the face. No, that's not good. You know, and, <laughs> and I'm like, you don't, you have no idea how I feel, and no. why why would you say that? Mm-hmm. So you know, even as a young man, I understood right away that that you know, there's there's not a lot you can say to fill in that mm-hmm. gap. You know, so if silence is golden, let me ask Rebecca. I'll let you speak on behalf of all women right now. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yes. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> Do you think that women are as um, ready to be silent, or do you think women are wanting to be verbal? Oh, that's a good question. I think, I don't know if it's a man-woman thing. Uh, it's definitely an extrovert-introvert thing, and I think people are more clear on defining what they are these days, maybe. Um, I I have heard statistics, which I haven't verified, <laughs> that say that women tend to use more words than men. Um, I'm a verbal processor in my relationship with my husband. I am much more likely to want to talk it out mm-hmm. and think that it's not okay if it hasn't been talked out. I am far less comfortable with silence than he is. Uh, so maybe that's just something you have to work out in your own relationships. I think there are times when coming off of your story earlier in the hour, Brad, sometimes I just want to talk it out and and confide in 
my husband or in the person that's close to me. And that act is in itself part of the healing or the figuring out process. So I'm not necessarily expecting an answer. And sometimes that silence is reassuring. It's it Mm -hmm. shows trust and and it's valuable even if you don't say anything. Interesting. Thank you, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Once again. Okay, we've got to man up now. Let's talk about the game. <laughs> Let's get back too on much, track. Too much feelings talk. Yeah, that was too you. much emotion there for me. That answer your question, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And the uh, listener uh, Scott said he was hanging Christmas lights and hit his head when he fell. Mm. Oh, that's tough. So sorry. Mm. Yeah. Another question from a listener: Who chooses how many children to have? God or my spouse and I? Oh Lord. <laughs> Oh man! Wow! Wow! Do, what a you know, you guys. I, I re- <laughs> yeah, really. I remember when I was a kid. Okay, so here, here's here's the classic kid story. Asking mom and dad, mom and dad, where do babies come from? And mom's response was, "God wills it." <laughs> so you know, it's God's will, and and I said. Okay, so but how does that now go happen? to your room? You know, <laughs> do we got a stork dropping this this baby from heaven? You know, or you know, but God wills it. So I have this predisposition, this idea that that God wills it because my mom said so. <laughs> I like that answer. I think we'll go with that. God wills it. Yeah. All right. Here's a question: Do you believe practicing Jewish people who haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior went to heaven, such as the Jewish people who died in the Holocaust? I don't think that necessarily everybody goes to heaven who died in the Holocaust. I think you need Christ to be saved. So, if somebody is practicing the Jewish religion, has rejected Jesus as their Messiah, I don't think they're going to heaven. Paul the Apostle was Jewish, and in the Book of Romans, he grieves over the fact that his Jewish brothers are not saved. And I think that uh, being Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, or whatever, there's only one way to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, uh, Acts 16. Mm. All right, we just have a few minutes left. I want to talk about um, traditions, how you have, you have learned Scripture, and it's been based on a tradition. You learned it when you were young, and you've stuck with it. And you encounter scripture and you understand that your traditional understanding of the verse needs to be changed a little. Mm-hmm. Um, how good are you at doing that? Mm-hmm. And how strong is tradition when it comes to studying God's word? Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like, okay, here, we're going to talk about feelings one more time. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I feel like one of the great things I loved about evangelical Christendom in the in the from the turn from the turn of the last century is that to a large extent it felt like uh, a rejection of church tradition now that's not exactly true but uh, i think there was a lot of segments of evangelical christianity that that were in you know and really what they were talking about was relationship let's not talk about religion let's talk about relationship whatever that is and so i think you know, sometimes there were churches that threw the baby out with the bathwater, right? I mean, let's let's reject all church tradition. In fact, I was pretty old before I even understood uh, about church calendar. You know mm-hmm. that uh, that that there's a sequence of events. I mean, we 
you know, we celebrated Christmas and Easter and all these things, but I didn't think of it as a, a as a calendar mm-hmm. event. And I think, you know, as time has gone on, then I've realized that church tradition has a whole series of things that they do in, during this time. And um, I think one of the good things about those, that is that then we are responsible for our relationship to God. And um, I think that has a certain kind of power in it that's a, a beyond tradition. Mm. Great answer, Brad. Brad? And you know, whether you, whether you th- think you do or not, everybody holds to some church tradition. What I mean by that is if somebody says, well, I, I don't believe in the creeds. I just followed the Bible. And I, well, okay, then, then you ask them, okay, what do you believe? And, non, and they, they probably are either more Baptist or Pentecostal. But people who, <laughs> people who say, I just don't hold the church tradition. And then you ask them what they believe, and they believe just like the Baptists or Pentecostals. Mm-hmm. So you can't get away from it. You, our job is, as we come to Scripture, is trying not to put our presuppositions on it. Mm-hmm. Just let the Bible mm-hmm. say what it says. And if I was raised to believe otherwise, let the Bible win. Mm-hmm. The problem is, though, when we do that, you still got differences. And so some of this won't be resolved. All right. Heaven. Brad, Tom, Justin, thank you so much for being the power panel today. It's been a lot of fun thank you. having you in thank studio. You. That wraps up Guy Talk. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to have a uh, encore performance of John and Pam Bloom. We call that Deep Thinker Thursday. Be back in a few minutes. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.